0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me at rickthomas.net. Life Over Coffee is the podcast where I talk about practical matters, all things pertaining to life and godliness. If you have a question, something that you would like for me to develop a 30-minute podcast for, please send it in and say, hey, Rick, would you consider this for a podcast? I will consider it. I'm not sure if I'll be able to do it or not. It depends on what it is, but I would love to consider it. And if you have something that you would like for me to work out for you and give you an extrapolated answer on a situation, a relational problem, I'll be glad to do that. That's what this podcast is about. This is episode 116. The title of the podcast is The Loving Necessity of Judging Others. You can get the show notes for this podcast by going to episode 116, the title, Loving Necessity of Judging Others, and you can get the infographic I have here. I have three articles inserted here, linked here, that you can also read. I have an outline of what I'm going to share with you, so there's a lot of information here, and I would love for you to check it out. RickThomas.net, episode 116. Let me give you some synonyms for judging because if depending on how enculturated you have been, if you are more in the culture than in Christianity, you you might only have one way of defining the word judging. And tied to that definition will be Matthew seven one, of course, judge not lest you be judged. The most oft quoted verse in the entire Bible from our culture. And they use it wrongly. They have a wrong interpretation. And basically, what they're saying is they're putting up a, a shield that disallows you from speaking into their lives or making any kind of assessment about them. Christians don't think that way. Christians have a different worldview. Christians invite corrective care. Christians invite people to speak into their lives because they understand the benefit of that kind of community. They lead with their problems, and they ask for your help. They want you to judge the situation. Here's a synonym for judging, discernment. They want you to discern, to judge, to assess, to observe, to look at what is going on in their lives, to watch them. All of these words, judging, discerning, assessing, observing, looking, watching, You can wrap them up and put them in one basket and call that basket love. It's an excellent way to love another person by speaking into their lives. And that's why I titled the podcast episode 116, The Loving Necessity of Judging Others. We must be doing that with other people. Biblical discernment is a huge issue for anyone who wants to care for another person. Anytime you're discipling someone, you have to make judgment calls about the person that you're discipling. I've been doing this for a long time. You're sitting across from a person that you've never met in your life, and and they start talking to you. You have no background, no context. You have no historical reference point with that individual, but you are called to make judgment calls about what they are saying. It takes a ton of biblical discernment and there is no way around this truth and so I want to talk about it in this podcast and I hope that this will help you motivate you to care for other people motivate you to speak into other people's lives but more importantly is for you to invite other people to speak into your life to judge you Assess, observe, watch, discern to love you in such a way that they can bring care to you so that you can be a a better person. This has nothing to do with being punitive, being frustrated with another individual, being impatient and harsh in how we say things. This is all about redemption redeeming, redemptive conversations, redeeming lives, and we want to do that with each other. If you surround yourself with just one other person who loves you that much, you are a wealthy person. If you're sitting in a small group with a circle of friends who love you enough to bring corrective care to you, you are over-the-top wealthy. Uh, Let me give you four reasons that you want to judge others. And again, as I have already outlined here, I don't struggle with the word judge because I have a context for it. And so let me give you four reasons of why you want to judge or discern other people. Uh, There's a graphic here in the show notes, and it helps explain. And and what I've done here is I've, I've stacked up a list of things from the heart, to the external behavior. And I want to walk through. In Matthew seven sixteen, it says, By their fruit ye shall know them. I would say to that verse that Jesus said there, I would say, show me a person's fruit, and I will tell you how he thinks about God. The fruit is the first thing that we see in an individual's lives. We can't know their heart. We can't see their heart. But it does not mean that we should give up on the opportunity and the challenge to try to discern another person's heart. We need each other, helping each other, discerning our heart motives, our innermost thoughts and intentions so that we can help each other. But you start externally, and externals can be a bit tricky. And that's why when you're bringing corrective care, you want to look deeper than the fruit that you are observing, but the fruit is where you begin. And so when you look at a person's fruit, what is that? what that is going to tell you is that it's going to reveal their choices. The external behavior in a person's life reveals the choices that they have made. So when you see fruit, if a person gets angry at someone... You see a choice that they made. I chose to get angry. If a person serves someone, then the fruit is serving, and you see underneath that a choice that they made to exhibit that kind of fruit. So fruit reveals choices. Choices reveals beliefs. You could say it this way. I believe that I should choose this, so therefore I do that. If a person chooses to serve, it's because they believe. His beliefs drive him to make choices, which is evidenced in fruit. You see how you're going deeper here. The fruit reveals choices. Choices reveals beliefs. Beliefs, let's take it down deeper, reveals motives. My motivation is to put Christ on display, therefore I believe that I must choose this, which works out into a behavior. And so you see the serving person in your local church, you're getting an indication of what the motivations of their hearts, of their heart is. He is motivated to serve. Therefore, he believes these are certain choices that he must make, and now he has fruit hanging on his tree that looks like serving. And, of course, those motives that lead to beliefs, to choices, to fruit, those motives reveal how he thinks about God. That is, the bottom, that is at the bottom of it all. How a person thinks about God, good or bad, will begin to shape their motives, their motivations. Their motivations will build a belief system. Out of that belief system will come choices, and from those choices will come fruit. Let's take the negative aspect of this. I, I talked about, I illustrated all this with a person who has a servant's heart. This is how he thinks about God. He loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants to imitate God, as Ephesians 5 1 says, as beloved children imitate God. That's how he thinks about God. He's grateful to God for regeneration. Therefore, it it begins to fuel his motivations, his motives, and out of those motives comes an entire belief system. And from that belief system sprouts these choices that he makes, and and those choices are evidenced by the fruit in his life. By his fruit, ye shall know him. All right, a person who is harsh in his marriage or in her, in her marriage, a wife who is critical and nagging or a husband who is verbally abusive. You can go either way here, depending male or female. But what you are observing is the fruit in their life, and we're, we're going to call this fruit in their life horrific or bad communication, whether it's a man or a woman. That's the fruit. That's the evidence. That's on the surface, and you can judge that, and as you go underneath, you see they're making these choices to be critical and angry and verbally abusive and harsh and unkind and corrupting in their speech. Well, if you get under that, you know that there's something wrong with their belief system. Now, the primary thing that's going to be wrong with their belief system is that they they are manipulators and they are used, they believe that if I choose this, this kind of communication, it will get me what I want. Therefore, you're revealing their motivations of the heart. I want what I want, the way that I want it, when I want it. Now, at the bottom of those motivations is how they think about God. Well, they're angry with God. They're frustrated with God. They don't know God possibly. They don't want God to be the ruler of their lives. They want to be God, little G-O-D. And because I want to be God and I want it my way, I want to do what I want to do. I'm motivated to speak this way. Therefore, I believe if I say this, here's the choice that I make, and it comes out as harsh fruit. That's the negative side of it. And that's why when you see the fruit in somebody's life, you you want to speak into that. I trust that you are always observing the people that are in your life from a loving perspective because you want to speak into their lives. You see the fruit. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes you need to speak difficult truth in people's lives, and this is one of the areas that causes the most tension within Christianity. We don't want to do this. It would be unkind not to come alongside your friend to bring correction. Of course, You do not come alongside your friend making statements, but you come alongside your friends asking questions because you're not omniscient about what you are observing. You can guarantee that you are missing something, but the fact that you're missing something about what you are observing should not stop you from coming or going to a person and sharing your observations with them. And it is wise to do that by asking questions. Hey, brother so-and-so, you know, this is, this is what I was observing. Could you help me to understand it better? Did it mean this or did it mean that? This is how it came across to me, but I know that there's a strong possibility that I could be wrong, that you, could you help me understand this? And so you don't come making statements about what you are observing because you're not omniscient. You're just looking at the fruit. You don't know the heart. And so as you begin by that external observation, you start asking questions. Well, why did you choose that? What do you believe? What do you think the motivations of your heart were? And you will begin to get down to how they are thinking about and responding to God. And you will be in a, a wonderful community context to be able to, to help that person. But too often we see the behavior and, and we, we don't ask questions of it. Now, perhaps they, they have no interest in changing Perhaps they don't, they don't want to take your observation, and maybe they will get angry at you and, and go another way. That's fine, but at least you know that you have tried and you have planted the good seed of God's word. You have watered. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the increase right there because you did this thing, because you spoke into their lies, but you are being faithful to God's word, and you're being faithful to this person. Faithful are the wounds of a friend But profuse are the kisses of an enemy, and you don't want to be that kind of flatterer or unloving friend that never speaks into an individual's life, because the thing that you know is what I call the continuity effect. There is continuity between what a person does and what is going on in their heart. Jesus told us this in Luke 6, that no good tree can bear bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. You don't pick figs from a thorn bush, and you don't pick grapes from a bramble bush, Jesus said. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. That is the continuity effect. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, Jesus said. And so you may misunderstand or misinterpret what is going on in the fruit of a person's life, but you know there is a continuity of fact. That's why you want to ask questions about what you are observing. You want to make sure that what you are observing is coming from a God-centered a God-managed heart, and so you ask questions because you could be wrong. The things we do come from our hearts. There is no discontinuity between what we do and who we are at the innermost part of our being. And if you are a loving Christian, you are going to be asking questions about what you are observing in a person's life. Someone will say, well, what if I'm wrong? Never making a mistake would be a plus. (laughs) Always being correct would be an advantage. But the truth is that you nor I are a perfect replication of Christ. We are an imperfect replication of Christ. We will miss on our assessments from time to time, but that is okay. You go to a person's, it would be just serious, a serious pride problem if you didn't go to a person and speak into their, to their life because you're thinking, well, I may be wrong. A person who thinks that way is more concerned about themselves than the other person. I don't want to damage my reputation. I might be wrong. Well, if you are wrong, just admit that you missed it and then continue developing the relationship. Making a mistake in a relationship is an excellent opportunity to build deeper into that relationship. The folks I build the deepest with are the ones who are humble enough to allow me to misjudge and even sin against them. Their humility governs their forgiveness, and in spite of my mistakes, we become close friends. Making a mistake with an individual can, it should deepen your relationship with that person if God is calling you to be that kind of friend to that individual. Though I am fallible, I must not stop trying to discern the people that I am discipling. If I stop trying to discern the people that I'm discipling based on the fact that I've been wrong, I would never disciple again. If I stop discerning because of my fear of making a mistake, my care for them will be weakened or it would become non existent. This idea of what if I'm wrong. Well, there's a high possibility, probability that you are will be wrong. But again, that is a relational opportunity to build in each other's lives. We should be fruit inspectors. We should be lovingly judging one another in the context in which I am speaking here. We should be looking at the fruit in people's lives and trying to draw conclusions about the fruit that is in their lives because we want to get to the bottom of it all, which is how they think about how they experience God. And we love them enough that we want to come alongside them to help them to have a greater experience with God. Now, I want to finish this podcast by giving you a a couple of, list to think about. One is confrontation tips. And then the second one is how to correct someone. Because confronting other people, again, it's one of the hardest things that, that we'll ever do. It is probably the area where discipleship care breaks down in all of our churches is that we ignore these problems that we see in other people. We don't speak into it. We even have created language to keep ourselves from speaking into people's lives, like extending grace. Well, we just want to extend grace here. There may be a good call to extend grace, but where I've seen it activated in most cases is that it's – a way of ignoring problems, allowing people to continue in sin. We're just going to extend grace here. That's grace abuse. If a person is suffering and you're going to extend grace, meaning you're not going to speak into that problem, that's probably grace abuse. It's definitely unkindness, depending on the nature of the problem. And so here are five confrontational tips that I trust will serve you. The first one is affection. Showing love to another fallen image bearer. I've said in other places that if you do not have affection for the person that you are correcting, you should not correct that individual. People will feel your affection for them when you correct them. That would be the one time That is the easiest time to feel affection for another person is when you are confronting them. If you confront them with an edge, harshness, unkindness, it's so easy to discern. I have confronted people that I've had affection for and I've confronted people that I didn't have affection for and there is a difference in the two. And I've also been confronted by people who love me, and I've been confronted by those who don't. And I can tell you on the receiving end that, that there is a discernible difference as to whether that person has affection for you or not. A confrontational tip, number one, you must have affection for the person. Number two, thanksgiving. Expressing gratitude for the privilege to care for someone. Read 1 Corinthians, the first nine verses of the first chapter. Paul said, I give thanks to God for you. Paul was very clear. He spent time in his closet expressing gratitude to God for these difficult people. He had affection for them. He carried them in his heart. He expressed gratitude to God for them. Now, if you're correcting somebody, and those are the two qualities that you have about that person, you'll probably you will probably correct them well. Number three is patient. Being patient with others, as God is patient with you. I was telling someone last night that I what I do I I have to remind myself when I'm working with an individual who is struggling with some kind of issue, and maybe it would be easy for me to look down on that issue as trifling or why haven't you gotten over this yet? And I have to remember that it took 25 years before I ever became a Christian, a quarter of a century. God was patient with me for 25 years before I repented the first time in a salvific way when I repented and became regenerated. I've repented many times since then in a sanctification way. But it takes great patience. Confrontational tip number one, affection. Number two, thanksgiving. Number three, patience. Number four, encouragement. Using your words to build up, not to tear down a person. The reason that you are confronting a person is redemptively, not punitive. You are redemptively speaking into their lives, like Ephesians 4.29 says, using your words to build up another individual. Affection, thanksgiving, patience, encouragement. These are confrontational tips. And the fifth one is charity, always thinking the best because love believes all things. You always want to go into a situation thinking the best. That's one of the reasons that you ask questions rather than make statements. You're thinking the best. You're not thinking critically, negatively, cynically. You're not thinking the worst. You're thinking the best. Now, it may be the worst as you dig deeper into a person's life, but that's not how you enter in. If, you're in if, you're enter, if you enter in with anything other than charity, then they will feel that too, and they will begin to either shut down or become defensive. And so five confrontational tips, affection, thanksgiving, patience, encouragement, and charity. Now, this this last list is how do you correct someone? Have 10 things for you to consider as you judge another person, assess, discern, watch, observe, love another person so that you can bring corrective care into their lives. Number one, start in your closet, asking the Lord to give you divine perspective. Your correction of another person should begin in your closet, whether it's in a literal closet or the idea here is prayer. Your correction of another person begins by praying to God about the situation and for that person. Start in your closet. Number two, address your motives. Is it redemptive or punitive? As I was saying earlier, why do you want to correct this person? Uh, I, I don't think it would surprise you to know that many times the reason we want to correct somebody is because we we're, we want to get back at them, we want to be punitive. Number three, ask the Lord to give you divine affection for the person that you're going to correct for reasons that I've already have mentioned. Start in your closet to gain divine perspective. Address the motives. Make sure they're not punitive. Ask the Lord to give you affection for the person you're correcting. Number four, address your frustrations that you have with the person. One of the ways that you can do that is by reminding yourself that you put Christ on the cross. There is no place for self-righteous corrections. You can't be looking down on the individual because you're the biggest sinner that you know, similar to what Paul said in 115 of Timothy, I am the foremost sinner, and if that is your beginning point, you will be addressing your frustrations with the other person, and your correction will not be punitive. Number five, remember that you are fallible. Only imperfect people can correct imperfect people. Proceed with caution. You may make a mistake, as I was saying earlier. The only kind of people that can correct imperfect people are imperfect people. On our best day, we are imperfect. Remember that you are fallible. And if you remember that you are fallible, you will proceed with caution. That's number five. Number six, remember that you're working with incomplete information which is why you want to ask more questions than going in blaring with your statements. I wish the people on Facebook, so many people on Facebook, would ask questions rather than making statements. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be. Ready, fire, aim. That's a bad way to communicate when you're working with incomplete information, and you're always working with incomplete information, always. Number six, remember you're working with incomplete information. Number seven, do not cave to the fear of others. This is dealing with your fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25. Don't cave to that. You must go forward if you are a loving friend. Number eight, ask the person how your correction felt to them. Perhaps you were harsh. I've done this so many times in counseling where I did get frustrated, and I knew it. And usually when I ask that question, I already know the answer to it. But ask that question to them. How did this feel when I correct? This is great parenting advice. This is great marriage advice. Ask the other person that you just said something to in a corrective way. How did that feel to them and draw them out and and make sure that they're telling you the truth. Number nine, give them a plan for change. Don't hit and run with your corrections. Give them a plan to change. Help them walk through, not just giving a correction and moving on to the next thing. And number 10, follow up the next day to see how you can continue to serve them. A lot of times after conversations like this, you get a day later and And there's things that you think about during the night that you didn't think about in the moment, and you follow up the next day to discuss it. And that could also be redemptive. If you want to talk about this, please let me know. This is episode 116, The Loving Necessity of Judging Others. Check out the episode. Check out the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.